What's up, Beardos? You're listening to episode 138 of The Bearded Vegans. Basically, our whole philosophy boils down to don't be a jerk. Don't be a jerk. Let me answer your question first. I'm not answering your question. I really hope people didn't tune in to hear us talking about beards. Welcome to the show. I'm Paul. And I'm Andy. And we are the Bearded Vegans, a podcast featuring a dissection of all things vegan. If you're just tuning in for the first time, you can find all our previous episodes at thebeardvegans.com. You can always reach us by emailing thebeardedvegans at gmail.com. In today's episode, we're going to talk about what we've been eating, answer some listener emails, go over the news, and then move on into our main discussion of the week. Are non-vegan animal organizations allies to the vegan movement? <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a mouthful, Andy. <laughs> and I think it's going to be a good discussion. Andy's jokester Andy over here just <laughs> writing on the Google Doc as I'm trying to talk. Paul has... People can probably tune into the bloopers to find out the mayhem that ensued <laughs> previous to this happening. Yeah, this should be an interesting discussion, Paul. I'm excited to dive in. I am too. Andy, this is the last time... In the foreseeable future that I will be recording from Philadelphia, I'm currently in my half-empty apartment. I'm about three-fourths of the way moving out, but I had to stop, and I said, no, I have to record this episode. <laughs> so I'm just sitting in bed because that's the only place to sit down at the moment and uh, record this episode with you. So I'm going to miss it, Andy, but hopefully <laughs> fewer car- fewer sounds of cars driving by in future episodes. We can only hope. I mean, it's it's it'll be hard to get more sounds of cars driving by, so <laughs> it'll probably be an improvement. True, true. So, but before we get into the episode, we got a couple announcements. Andy, what do we got coming up? Well, we got that Atlantic City Vegan Food Festival coming up on July 14th, and what we will be doing there is doing a live podcast. So we want all of you wonderful beardos to come out. If you live within an eight-hour drive of Atlantic City, New Jersey, we expect you to be there. <laughs> Update from last week's episode where we said, we should probably start discussing what we're going to talk about. We have not started discussing what we're going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to keep it timely, trying to keep it timely. But we do have a really cool guest to discuss whatever it is that we might be discussing on that show. So... Yeah, definitely stay tuned. Well, we're still waiting on the official time when that is going to happen, but coming to see the podcast is included in the ticket price of admission to the festival. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes and hope to see some beardos there. Next thing coming up at the end of July is that I, Andy, will be speaking at the Colorado Veg Fest in Broomfield, Colorado, which is right outside of Denver. The festival is July 28th and 29th, and on July 29th, which is a Sunday at 2.20 p.m., I will be joining Ginny Messina and JL Fields to recreate our food and body shaming panel that we initially did at the New Jersey Veg Fest. And I'm hoping to actually get a, a good quality recording of it this time, but would love to see some beardos out there in Colorado as well. Nice. Very nice. That's all very exciting, Andy. And one more piece of announcement. That's a strange phrase. One more piece of announcement. We have our mailbag episode coming up. That will be episode 140, so in two short episodes. That means if you have any burning questions, now would be the time to email them into us, thebeardedvegans at gmail.com, or submit them on the Facebook or the Instagram. And keep in mind, we record these a little bit in advance, so... Between now and when the next episode is released is probably going to be your last shot. 
at sneaking those mailbag questions in. In addition to that, as you may know or may not know if you're newer to the podcast, each mailbag episode we have our iTunes review contest. So go over to the podcast page on iTunes, find our iTunes page, and leave us a, leave us a review. If, if you feel that we deserved it, and we will be selecting three random reviews and sending them a button and sticker. Yeah, and if you do it once, you're entered forever until you win. So if you don't get it this time, you're entered in perpetuity. So it helps us out, get us higher up in the rankings. If you like what we have to say and you think other people should hear it, when they search for the term vegan in the podcast section, uh, go ahead and leave us that review. We greatly appreciate it. We do. So Andy... Speaking of great reviews, have you been eating anything exciting? You know, Paul, it's actually been like a f- just a few days since we last recorded. Everything got scrunched together due to my sickness. So I'm not actually going to highlight food. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break from format, Paul. I'm going to highlight a non-food vendor All right. from the Tri-State Veg Fest, who is a vendor that I'm such a huge fan of, and I don't really know if we've ever plugged them on the show, but I wanted to give a hearty plug to Fanciful Fox, yeah. who is an all-vegan soapery, like, soap maker, but they make, like, literally anything you could possibly need to put on your body or, like, in your bath, all of that stuff. Think of them as, like, I guess, like, a way cooler version of Lush because it's actually <laughs> run by ethical vegans. And I don't know. I just wanted to give them a plug because I was sick and I walked over there and I was talking to Kathy about that. And, and Kathy was like, here, you should have this vapor rub for your, your cough and everything. And it's like, oh, they're just such a good company. And I feel like more people need to know about them. You can order their stuff online. It's super high quality and just wanted to give them a plug. So we'll put a link in the show notes, but fancifulfox.com is all you need to know. And the, the physical location in Brooklyn, if you are able to visit it, go in there because the, the, array of soaps that they have they have tons of different soaps and they are the most beautiful soaps that you will ever see in your life you'll want to eat them actually (laughs) (laughs) yeah actually i used to swear by the dr bronner's peppermint soap and i have switched over to their their shampoos and their soaps that they use because they're just so good and such delightful scents. They have they come out with such a wide variety of scents as well paul i don't know how the two of them keep up with it it's great it's definitely great yeah, and also, so at the Tri-State Veg Fest, where I was joined by Paul, our, we were reunited, but we did not hug because of my <laughs> sickness, and Paul was like my, my germ bodyguard for the day. Like, people were coming up and trying to shake hands, and Paul was like, no, 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 no. I'll, I'll stand between you two while you talk, or while we take a picture together. So, sorry to any beardos that were hoping for some skin-to-skin contact, because it did not happen. <laughs> uh, but thank you to Raina. Kevin and Kat, Samantha, Rachel, and Vegan Chicky and Son Zach for coming by and saying what's up, Beardo. Yeah, it was great to meet everybody. Absolutely. Paul, what went in that beautiful mouth of yours this week? So, Andy, you know, this wasn't this week. This was like three weeks ago at this point, but I don't know. Did I ever mention to you that I had the Italian Beyond Sausage? Uh, I don't remember, and... Listeners, hold your emails if you already did. (laughs) I don't think I did because what I wanted to say, Andy, is hashtag the snap is real. (laughs) I I understand the snap now. I when I was holding the sausage and when I was like before it was grilled up, I was like, I don't know what Andy's talking about. There's this is some made up thing. And then I bit into it and I felt that snap. I love that snap. It was so good. It was it was very good. We don't need to talk anymore about it, but I just 
I couldn't believe that. I don't, I don't think that I've mentioned that to you, but anyways. I, I'm shocked that you have not mentioned that to me, but thank <laughs> you for letting me know. You're welcome. You're welcome. And just a quick shout out to uh, Andy. This is, I think the first time this has ever happened to me. I know it happened to you at that uh, hot dog place the other day, but I met a Beardo at a, at a non veg fest location and I ran into Anissa at a cold cave show. Uh, and yeah, it was really great going to a musical concert, just kind of sitting by myself. And, and they came over and were like, hey, are you? <laughs> they gave me a, a tentative what's up, Beardo. And I was like, this is great. This is really great. So we chatted for a little bit. But yeah, it was really it was wild for me to run into someone in a non veg fest setting. But it was really cool. So thanks, Anissa, for coming up and saying hello. All right. Well, let's let's move on past this silliness paul and let's respond to some listener emails that we got you know we got a bunch that we're saving for the the mailbag but a few we want to answer right away uh the first comes to us from i believe pronounced tamala who emails in what's up beardos i saw eating animals and i don't know what to think of it are you planning to review it on the podcast at all and the answer is yes this has actually been on our calendar like it came out a few weeks ago but just in limited release and i have had the opportunity to see it in new york i have not taken that yet um but we try not to review things until they're they're widely available to everyone because i know it's probably not the entertaining to listen to a film that only people in like new york and la actually have access to so we are waiting for it to have a wider release so that it can be enjoyed by everyone and they can partake in the review and give us their feedback afterwards. So uh, it's definitely on the radar. I'm looking forward to seeing it. It's gotten some really mixed reviews from the vegans. So uh, I am really curious to, to dig into it. Do we know when the wide release is? I've been searching that Fandango and just kind of waiting because uh, in an interview, Natalie Portman said that it was June 15th was the release in New York City, and then it would be sort of filtering out from there. So I figured it would be in Philly by now, but no, no Philly. No Philly. So yeah, definitely look forward to checking out that movie and reviewing it on the, the PCAST. So Andy, we got another... <laughs> not. <laughs> so we got another message, this time actually on Facebook, Andy, from Tara. And this is not so much a question as what I thought was a different perspective or a, a slightly different take or a different thought on the Anthony Bourdain discussion that we had last week so i just figured i'd read tara's comments because i thought it was i thought they made a really good point bourdain did say some really awful things about veganism in his first book and some still terrible but less extreme things more recently but it seemed like he had softened his views over the years and was generally headed in the right direction a running theme in his work was an utter disdain for classism and elitism, and I got the feeling that his impression of veganism was simply white, first-world, upper-class veganism, which is a problematic group of vegans to be sure. He was never disrespectful of plant-based, quote, world cuisine on his shows or books as far as I can recall, and graciously accepted plant-based food from culturally meat-avoiding people like Ital Rastafarians and vegetarian or vegan Indians. Somehow in his mind, there was a firm divide between inherited cultural veganism or vegetarianism and his idea of vegans in general. I feel as though if someone had been able to convince him that there's much more to veganism than privileged white people making life more complicated for restaurant cooks, he might have come around eventually. So I thought this was a great comment because I don't think, Andy, we touched upon him experiencing vegan food in his show, like when he was off getting food from from different cultures and stuff like that. So. I know neither of us were super familiar with the show, so I thought that this was a good 
a good perspective to bring in. Yeah, I think it kind of complements the point of view that I was mentioning that I'd seen from a few people towards the very end of our discussion that was essentially that that people saw his potential, that people saw him starting to slowly soften his views towards veganism. And, and like a lot of it was kind of this sadness of this person that they thought like his heart is in the right place and I think he's going to get there and his journey ended before that actually happened. And I think this kind of complements that as well in terms of talking about sort of softening views towards veganism. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it entirely changes my opinion of the whole thing because it's, it's almost like saying that someone that's doing it for the ethical reasons deserves to be mocked. Whereas if it's just a part of their culture that it's okay. Yeah, th- that is weird. I, I, I definitely agree with you on that, Andy. I, I do. Th- I do think though that Tara brings up a, like a great point that, and what you were saying that, he was going to get there and it was just, it was just a matter of something clicking for him. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree with that. And I definitely appreciate Tara for, for sending us that message. And also Tara is someone who stops by the booth regularly at the New Jersey events as well. So hi Tara. Hi Tara. <laughs> All right. Shall we move on into the news? Yeah. Andy hit me with this first one, Paul. I think we actually have a lot of positive news today. This is new. I think that, People need a little bit of levity in their lives right now since everything's kind of more of a shitstorm than usual. But this is the next chapter in our favorite saga of Derry's Inevitable Downfall. <laughs> so I'm just going to, I don't know if we have too much to say about this, but this is coming to us from Veg News on June 22nd. 52 New York dairy farms lose wholesale contracts. I'll read from that article. Dairy suppliers cannot sell their milk as demand for dairy continues to plummet. Connecticut-based milk processor Marcus Dairy announced this week that it will end its wholesale contract with 52 dairy farms in New York. Many of these farms will shudder once their contracts expire on June 30th. Dairy farmer Alice Deal spoke with CBS Local in New York about her skepticism surrounding the consumer shift towards plant-based alternatives. I found this comment hilarious. (laughs) I don't know how you milk an almond, Deal said, but whatever. (laughs) The average American consumer drinks 37% less milk today than they did in 1970, and the plant-based milk industry, which is predicted to be worth $35 billion by 2024, continues to boom. So, yeah, I don't know. I guess this is just sort of evidence that that dairy is going down. Again, I don't revel in anyone sort of losing their livelihood and potentially facing some hard times because of that. But I think that it is – I think it's a really positive thing overall. I think that it's something to be celebrated. Especially Marcus Derry. I mean, with a name like that, what else is he going to do? <laughs> hey <laughs> <laughs> All right, Paul, what's this next news story? All right, this is coming to us from June 19th, so just a few days ago. Bill that would ban cosmetic animal testing clears the Senate. And this article is coming to us from iPolitics.ca, a nice Canadian website. After 29 months before the Senate, a bill that would ban cosmetic animal testing in Canada is finally on its way to the House of Commons. The vote on Bill S-214, the Cruelty-Free Cosmetics Act, came late Tuesday night, just hours after members of Parliament from all parties joined together to call on senators to stop playing games with three animal protection bills, including the proposed cosmetic testing legislation. 
Just before 8.30 p.m., Senator Yoon Pao-woo, the leader of the Independent Senators Group, stood and said he'd heard the requests loud and clear and called for a vote on the bill, as well as Bill S-203, ending the Captivity of Whales and Dolphins Act, and Bill S-238, the Ban on Shark Fin Importation Act. MPs told reporters in Ottawa Tuesday morning the pieces of legislation should be voted on before the Senate rises for the summer. And then here's just the last part I want to read is what exactly would the bill prohibit? First introduced in December of 2015 by conservative Senator Carolyn Stewart Olson, the bill would prohibit cosmetic testing on animals in Canada and amend the Food and Drugs Act to ban the sale of cosmetics developed or manufactured elsewhere through the use of animal testing. The legislation would also establish that no evidence derived from animal testing may be used to establish the safety of a cosmetic developed in Canada or elsewhere. Should it pass, there would be a four-year phase-in period to allow the industry to adjust, an approach that mirrors the one taken by the European Union. So, Andy, I think that it's pretty cool. Like, obviously, I think that all of that is cool, but I really like the part that says that... the legislation establishes that you can't gather evidence from animal testing either in Canada or elsewhere to establish the, the safety of cosmetics. Yeah, that's pretty great. Cause it's, it's more than just like, Oh, we can't, we can't do this thing, but I feel like we can't do this thing in Canada. But then I feel like there'd be a lot of, there'd be an easy loophole for people to just, you know, do the testing elsewhere and then, say like oh look at this research that already happened like it's safe now but now this bill seems to be saying no you can't like it i feel like it's it's eliminating that that possible loophole yeah definitely i think it feels like we're starting to see a lot more of these types of bills get introduced and 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 pass in some cases and and the the news story that i'll talk about shortly is also on that same wavelength so it seems it feels like there's a bit more of a changing of the tide that we're starting to witness right now mhm mhm and uh, along with that changing of the tide and along with the the news article that you're going to read next andy it's nice to see these like legal legislation related to animals being passed and you know it's not like banning meat yet or banning the sale of eggs or anything like that. But I mean, I think that even, even if it's just in a small way, this is kind of pushing forward the idea that it's okay to have this animal based legislation go through. And, you know, maybe it's small steps and maybe these steps are too small for some people, but I I definitely think it's getting the, it's getting the foot in the door for, for these sorts of animal legislations to go through. Yeah, I think it would be hard to imagine some some legislative measure passing saying it's illegal to kill any animal for food if there was not something like these these laws getting put in place beforehand to sort of establish that some sort of legal framework you know, like you wouldn't expect to go from nothing to everything all at once. So so getting these kind of, I think, helps establish like a moral framework for the government to work off of. And also, I think that, you know, our laws are, I feel like they're usually lagging behind, but they're a reflection of our morality as like a, a culture, as a you know society. And obviously, again, like, like I said, they often very much lag behind where where like a lot of people are actually at but i think that 
having laws that doesn't reflect that is not a good thing. So I think that like things like this definitely start to help change the culture uh, and show that it reflects that like the constituents actually care about animals. Yeah. And, you know, this obviously reminds me and probably you, Andy, back to when we reviewed that one movie that was the documentary about Stephen Wise trying to fight for chimpanzees being able to be represented as like being given personhood in in the eyes of the law in the eyes of court and it just makes me think that you know like maybe in a few years maybe as short as like five years or something like that if Stephen wise decided decides to push for that again maybe it, it will go through at that point yeah and for those that are curious uh, you can check out episode 51 which is our unlocking the cage review which is the title of that film but yeah i think that having a legal and and political climate that is favorable towards these things can only help when people do try to bring these cases that are pushing for bigger changes overall to happen. Definitely. definitely. That's my totally unprofessional opinion. (laughs) (laughs) Same here, Andy. So speaking of animal rights and laws, what's this last news article? Yeah, this is interesting because you found the article that we just talked about and I'm bringing this one that we're about to talk about totally independently of each other. And I think they sort of line up really nicely. That's just how in sync we are with each other. (laughs) Yes, indeed. So uh, this is coming to us from Live Kindly on June 14th. Luxembourg modernizes animal rights laws to increase the protection of, quote, all animals. So let me read a little bit from this article over at Live Kindly. Luxembourg has updated its animal rights laws after 30 years. The new bill passed unanimously on June 6th and intends to help strengthen the protection of all animals in the country. Citizens will no longer be able to kill or instruct another to kill an animal unnecessarily without facing up to three years imprisonment or a $200,000 fine. Further, if an animal is injured, suffering, or in danger, the people of Luxembourg will now be obliged to rescue the animal, and, amongst other amendments, if a person wishes to keep an animal as a pet, there are now specific obligations with regards to feeding, providing water, and adequate care if the animal gets sick. And the article sort of notes that, because I, I read that, Paul, and I was like, that's pretty strong wording that you can't kill or instruct another to kill an animal unnecessarily because as we know that for those of us with uh, access to like a grocery store it is unnecessary to kill said animal so i was like does this mean no slaughterhouses does this mean no animals can be consumed unless someone has some weird medical condition or something the article notes at the bottom whilst luxembourg has not banned slaughterhouses or meat and dairy farming with the new amendments it is noteworthy to mention it was the first country in europe to ban the killing of animals for economic purposes and that lists uh, examples of like killing the male chicks, uh, like the the chick calling when they're sort of sorting the sexes of the the chicks, and they throw away the the male chicks into the the grinder there because they can't lay eggs, uh, or the killing of male calves. So again, the wording of that, I was like, well, what is the killing of animal for economic purpose? Like that's exactly what like the meat, dairy, and egg industry is. So yeah. like looking into it further, it seems like what they're saying is that it's the thing where it's just like just straight up killing an animal because it's more cost effective to just kill that animal than to raise that animal or even try and sell that animal. So I'm, it, it seems like that's exactly what their that little provision says. So I don't know. I had a lot of questions <laughs> when I read this, Paul, because like this seems cool, but it also feels like it's not really giving me the exact details that I really want. So actually I was looking through some other 
articles on this thing. And it turns out like this was introduced in 2016. There's all these articles talking about how Luxembourg is set to become the most animal friendly country in the world. And I thought, oh, they passed this thing back then. They're passing this thing now. It looks like this is the thing from 2016 being passed now. And mm. uh, so, so essentially what this bill does is it makes the fines and penalties more severe for violations of, of animal welfare rules. And it also makes the violations more specific so that they're easier to enforce. Hmm. Because, uh, you know, if you say unnecessarily and people could say, well, it was a necessity for me to kill for, you know, whatever reason, like there's ways for people to wiggle out of it. And this gives people less ways to wiggle out of these things. Uh, and I guess the this bill also makes it easier to remove animals that are in a situation where their rights are being violated. So I think this is overall pretty cool. I I know that it seems very welfare because essentially, just like in the U.S., there's all these exemptions for animals that are being used for for meat, dairy, and eggs for for economic purposes, as I as I would call them. Yeah. But I did find actually the the government like set up a website to to really lay out what everything you know, means and what specific facets there were. So I spent some time poking around that, which is not in English and the Google translate whole website function was not really working. So I had to sit there (laughs) copying and pasting individuals like paragraphs into translate. But so according to this website, the purpose of this act is to ensure the dignity, protection of life, safety, and welfare of animals. And that word dignity is something that came up multiple times, which I feel like is not something that you really see in, the language used with with U.S. laws around this. Not that I've read every single word and every single law in the U.S., but to me that was a shocking inclusion because it marked a a change in the recognition of animals as as property versus a, a being that could have dignity. Yeah, I I mean I wonder if if the word dignity was a direct translation, and maybe it was, maybe it was a slightly different word. But either way, it seems to be getting at some idea of what you were just saying, which is a shift and change of how we view these animals. Yeah. And, you know, when we we've talked about some of the legal stuff, like like what Stephen Wise was doing in Unlocking the Cage. And there's that that recent ruling where things did not go in his favor. But one of the judges did write a dissenting opinion that was essentially like, it's clear that these animals are, are more than just objects, but they're not quite humans. And it feels like we're failing them by not offering this like third classification. And this law seems to offer, it didn't give like a term for classification, but it, it like recognizes that animals are sentient beings that have interests, which I thought was a pretty big step. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so the website has like sections on, various aspects of of this whole thing from you know right like inseminating animals to transporting animals that you can go through and so i was curious because again i was like how does this actually affect animals that are being raised for food for instance and so i just i found a few things i thought were pretty interesting i'm going to go through them now so one of the tabs was slaughtering and killing animals and it said the killing of an animal may only be performed after stunning this provision does not apply to hunting recreational fishing and pest control when killing an animal unnecessary pain distress or suffering should be avoided 
so I don't know if it's, it's like, okay, you have to stun the animals, but a lot of people believe that's exactly what people have to do here. And obviously it's still a pretty horrible process. Even if the animal does get stunned, there's a section on transport of animals. And it said the transport of animals must be organized in such a way as to guarantee the safety and welfare of the animals throughout the duration of the transport. And as we know, a lot of animals died during the transportation process um, here in the U S and there was uh, even a section on animals used for scientific purposes. And it says animal experiments should be limited to what is strictly necessary. They can only be carried out if the objectives pursued cannot be achieved by other methods. Hmm. Yeah. I kind of, I'm kind of looking at this all as a whole. I'm kind of looking at it. It seems to me like it's, I feel like it's a, it's not a victory in terms of like, this is what I want as the end goal. But to me, it seems like this is the, this is a step towards what I would hope to achieve. Like this, this totally to me seems like the thing where it's like, oh, there's these shifts happening in how the people of Luxembourg view animals and maybe it's it's it will eventually get to veganism and there will be stricter laws about this but again just like the last article like i feel like this is the natural in-between step so i'm kind of like i don't necessarily celebrate like oh yeah they're gonna the animals are gonna be transported better but i can celebrate (laughs) it as as like this seems like it's the attitude is shifting and and i i do like that yeah, definitely. And so uh, then I went through the the frequently asked questions. There was a lot of really illuminating stuff there. So I'm just going to read some of the ones that I thought were the most interesting. A question, does this give animals more rights? And the entire response was, it must first be emphasized that animals will no longer be considered as things, but as living beings able to feel pain and experience other emotions. The purpose of this law is to guarantee their dignity, security, and well-being. In addition, the animals are better protected because the sanctions become more numerous and more severe. And sanctions, in this case, means like fines and fees and, and penalties. I don't that's, know. that's wild. I, I like that makes me so happy, but also so sad when I think about how <laughs> I think the United States is so far from having something like that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely question what are the changes for livestock will farmers have to follow new rules and the answer is we already have a wide range of provisions for farm animals at community level including the conditions under which animals must be kept example the number of square meters they must have in the stable etc this law obviously requires farmers to guarantee the dignity safety and welfare of animals but this obligation was generally respected before with some exceptions We must not forget that the farmer has an economic advantage if he treats his animals well because it is a good selling point. The new law makes it easier to sort out good and bad situations in this area. In other words, it only brings benefits to farmers, no additional harassment. Under cross-compliance, farmers are already required to farm animals that meet the needs of animals. Otherwise, the premiums can be eliminated. And this could only be an added value to farmers. So this one kind of trips me up a little bit because essentially it's like things are already good and it's obviously a farmer would not treat an animal poorly because it's not good for their business. Yeah, no, I, I, I feel you on that one. My, I guess my hope is that this is them trying to kind of tame the anger, the inevitable anger of the farmers. Like, I'm sure that 
you, you know, just like when I was a teacher and every time there's this new thing where I, it's like, okay, now we all have to take this test. Now you have to teach this way. Now I have to do this. There's this inevitable tide of anger from all the teachers. Yeah. I imagine that they're getting this from the farmers as well. So maybe they're just trying to, they're saying this stuff to be like, oh no, it's okay. Like for the most, it's like, you're already doing this thing. It's cool. And then they'll hit them with like, oh, and by the way, you also need to do all these things now. I'm hoping. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, I, I, I understand that from from the research that I did, it seems that the, the 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 agriculture industry, the farming industry in Luxembourg, is not the juggernaut that it is in the United States. Hey, hey, Andy. Yes, Paul. It's, a thought crossed my mind. So, the website seems pretty into listing a lot of the specifics, and and obviously we did not go over all the specifics of this law. And I'm sure that that this is covered somewhere, but something that came up for me when you read the line, if an animal is injured, suffering or endangered, the people of Luxembourg will now be obliged to rescue the animal. So going back like two or three episodes when I made when we were talking about open rescues and I made the claim, well, I'm I I find some of the philosophies behind open rescues hypocritical maybe because rescuing an animal is never going to be something that's legal. Now this language almost makes it seem like to me, if you could make an argument that these animals are, are injured, these animals are suffering maybe more so than, than the typical, like than typically what's happening in slaughterhouses, because now that that leads me to, uh, brings me back to what last week or two weeks ago talking about the arrest of those animal advocates who said, oh, these these pigs were being treated. They were dying in the in the slaughterhouses. Like, would that now fly in Luxembourg if you could make the case like, look, we we took these animals out of this place because these animals were sick and dying. Like, would it be OK to do a rescue then? Would it be legal? That's a good question. I wonder if someone could use that as as a legal justification for doing it. I'm I'm sure that the farmer could then say, "Well, look, we're following all the regulations that are laid out by by law here. So therefore, even if even if it's not the best for this animal, like clearly everything we're doing is fine and legal here." So I'm sure there'd be some sort of legal battle there, but yeah, it could actually be, leave this gap in the door for for someone to kind of stick their foot in there and say, Hey, look, it's totally good for us to, and it's like required by law for us to save these animals. Yeah. So, so all you other people are breaking the law by not <laughs> taking all these animals. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll, we'll see how that plays out. I'm sure there's animal rights advocates that are there that are probably already kind of thinking and scheming based off of what, what is happening. So we will keep people updated if we hear anything about that. Yeah, and I guess the last thing I should clarify is that this this law, this bill only refers to vertebrates. So, you know, mammals, birds, reptilians, amphibians, fishes, uh not like bugs. So, this this isn't like you have to avoid stepping on an ant or something like that. Okay. I I thought it might have been. I was interested when it said like something about pest control and i was like wow that's pretty but i mean they must be talking about you know like like mice yeah mice and rats and stuff like that but yeah at first i was like that's pretty that's pretty forward thinking for them to be not only to be like animals are not objects but also like hey 
bugs are here too. Let's yeah. try not to kill bugs unnecessarily. Bugs are cool. Leave them alone. Bugs are cool. They're just doing bug stuff. <laughs> just doing bug stuff. Yeah. So I don't know, Paul. I, th- I think that overall, like I said, we're, we're, I think we're starting to see a turning of the tide. It's, in my mind, these are the types of baby steps that, that help us get to where we want to go. Yeah, no, no, I, I absolutely agree, Andy, and that's kind of, I, I think that's what I was trying to get at before when I was saying some of this stuff that, that these these laws require, I'm not like, yes, that's it, we're done here, like, this is all that needed to be done, but it it seems like a big step in the right direction. Yeah, and I guess actually the one last thing that I will say is that the the one of the, the prime people that was sort of behind this whole thing you know, as mentioned in the article, it's been 30 years since their animal animal rights or animal welfare laws have been changed. But the people behind this sort of mentioned how this, you know, everything is rapidly evolving. Our relationship to animals is rapidly evolving. And they suspect it'll be well before 30 more years happens before these laws continue to be changed and updated and adapted. So, yeah, I guess we're going to we're going to see. Keep our eye on Luxembourg. Nice. Nice. All right, Andy. It's time to move on to the main discussion, but before we do that, we have some Patreon donors to thank. Yes, we do. So these are people that have decided to help support the podcast at as little as $1 a month. And if anyone does that, you get access to all the bonus episodes we put out, of which we'll be putting out a new one very soon, and uh, all, all this good stuff over there on Patreon, including some bloopers videos as well. So if you, like the, <laughs> if you like the bloopers, go ahead and hit that up. But thank you. Thank you very much to Alan D. Laura P. And Ava and Charlie. Thank you. Yeah, so if you want to get on that sweet, sweet action, get a shout-out on the podcast, get access to all the bonus episodes, you can get buttons and stickers, you can get early access to episodes, sometimes up to three days early. If that sounds good to you and you want to help us out monetarily, uh, just head over to thebeardedvegans.com slash beardo, that's B-E-A-R-D-O, and you'll have some options to do a one-time thing or a recurring thing, and we super appreciate everyone that does that. And Paul, we're actually, we're now under $100 from our next goal, and once we hit that, we'll be able to get two episode transcriptions per month. So that's every nice. other episode we'll get trans- transcribed, so it'll be a little more accessible. That's awesome. I, I look forward to that. Yeah, I'm excited. So thank you to everyone that, that signed up and keep doing that. It yeah. helps us uh, keep going. <laughs> and thank you to everyone just in general for listening, yeah, for getting yeah. this far into the episode. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and we know that like, I, there's tons of podcasts I love that I don't support financially, and there's a few that I do. And like, we get it if you can't, you know, and, and there's no pressure to do that. But uh, you know, if you feel like you want to help us out in other ways, it's it's always great when people share episodes with friends. We have so many people that email us and say, oh, my friend, uh, Average Jeff here said, you need to check out the <laughs> podcast. Now I'm totally hooked on it. So posting those episodes that you particularly like on Facebook, uh, giving us those iTunes rate and reviews, those all help us as well. So thanks to everyone that, that has been in, invested in this podcast, whether it's your time or your money or both. So thank you very much. All right, Andy, with that being said, let's move on into our main discussion. Let's do it. So the title that I chose for this main discussion was, Are Non-Vegan Animal Organizations Allies to the Vegan Movement? Hmm. So we're going to talk about some organizations that either don't promote, ranging from ones that would say that they're vegan, but maybe don't promote, you know, like the full extent of veganism, all the way down to ones that clearly promote non-vegan activities but still do things for animals 
like and everything in between and and where where we fall on them and and if we support them if we should support them and all, all that all that jazz so let's get into it you like jazz <laughs> i was waiting for it <laughs> so let's get into it uh this this discussion stemmed for me from a article on plantbasednews.org titled vegan split from national vegetarian group to start new organization so i'm going to read a little bit from that a local arm of New Zealand's National Vegetarian Society, or NZVS, has split away and set up its own vegan group. The Christchurch section of the organization, which was associated with NZVS for 15 years, has now established the Christchurch Vegan Society. The split has resulted in some controversy. According to the Christchurch Vegan Society, it wanted to rebrand as vegan, but said that NZVS threatened to seize the, its assets if it did. According to reports, the NZVS rejected Christchurch Vegan Society's proposal to change its name to the Vegan Society because it was deemed unconstitutional and exclusive of all members. A national manager of NZVS, Stephanie Lane, told local press, We said, if you're going to do this, you need to understand you won't be representative anymore. There's a mixture of vegetarians and vegans in Christchurch, and the ones have come back to us have said they're really glad we didn't rename it vegan. The word vegan excludes vegetarians, whereas the word vegetarian includes vegans. Interesting. I, I, I inserted the pondering emoji at that one. <laughs> and just finishing up the article. But Christchurch Vegetarian Society President Yolanda Sorrell said... It's never been a secret that we operate on vegan principles, but we really do mean it when we say we welcome anyone. We've had a big effort in the last five years to bring our society towards veganism, and as we're not the largest society, we want vegetarians and vegans to stick together. We're hoping members will stay as members of the vegetarian society, but maybe they will want to be part of ours as well. So uh, this brought up a few things for me, Andy. The first was the, the the kind of not super hard. Well, I guess it is a hard stance that they split apart. Like that's taking a pretty firm stance. Yeah. But 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 afterwards, them kind of saying like, oh, well, we still want to work with you. We still want people that are members of the vegetarian society to be in the vegan society. I'm wondering, Andy, do you think that they are taking affirmative stance by being like, look, we are the vegan society now. But it's okay if you don't like it's okay if you're not full vegan yet. Like, is that contradictory? Do they just need the members? Do you think that they're hoping that these people will then convert to veganism? What do you think about that? Well, I mean, I guess it depends on if they're saying it's okay if you're not vegan versus you can, it's okay to like join our group if you're not vegan because a part of what we do is help people usher in veganism. Like if all they're saying is like, you don't ever have to go vegan and you could still be a part of our group, then, then no, I don't, I don't like that. But I think that if we just have groups, they're like, like, obviously it's good to have groups that are composed entirely of vegans. There's a lot of, of, of uh, merit in that. But I think that having groups that, that are there, there's like, you know, Facebook groups online that are vegan groups and they say vegan only. And there's some that say vegan curious are also welcomed within. And it's like set up to be a place for, for those that are curious to ask questions and, and, and feel their way through the whole thing. So I think it really just sort of depends on like what the group is trying to do, but like, I wouldn't have the non vegans going out doing advocacy necessarily. Like if someone gets handed a vegan, 
vegan leaflet and then they have questions, they go back to talk to the person they hand it to them and that person themselves is not walking the walk, then, then what does it say? You know? So I think that it really just sort of depends on what exactly does it mean if they say it's okay if you're not vegan. Yeah. I, I guess for, for me, it's almost like what I would worry and, and not that I, you know, not that I doubt the Christchurch Vegan Society, not that I doubt their intentions or anything like that or their motives, but I guess what I would, what I worry about, because I, I commend them for, for breaking apart and being like, like, this is how we want to identify because I, I disagree with the, the vegetarian society with their kind of, oh, vegetarian is vegan, vegan sort of thing. To me, that kind of, that kind of, reminds me of reducitarian almost where it's like yeah that's cool that that's cool that you're vegan but i'm i'm vegetarian like this is what i am and that's that's enough almost Mm -hmm. like i i i think i'm sure that that one of the main reasons they wanted to split apart from the vegetarian society was because the vegans in that group probably were like we don't want this to be seen as the end point. Like yeah. many people, myself included, were vegetarian before becoming vegan. I was vegetarian for two years before I was vegan. And I'm sure that at the time that I was vegetarian, I'm sure there were times when I was like, oh, this is definitely, I'm good with this. This is enough. But I had people in my life that were vegan that were encouraging me to go vegan. And then I eventually did go vegan. So like, I guess I do worry about that, that, that having like the vegetarian society gives you like an end goal. It's like, this is, this is who we are. And this, we don't like, we don't need to to go further from this. So at the, you know, it's like, and again, I don't want to sound like I'm saying if you are vegetarian at this moment, like you're a terrible person because I was vegetarian for two years. And Andy, I don't think I was a terrible person, but I don't I, think I, you're I, ever a terrible person. Paul. I, think, I try not to be, I actively try not to be a terrible person, but so, so I guess bring it back to did the vegan society take a firm enough stance? Like maybe they're just, maybe they're just, they don't have enough members yet because they're breaking apart from a, a bigger organization. Maybe they don't have enough members. Maybe, you know, I'm sure they still need the, the financial support that they were getting from this bigger organization. But I don't know. I, like, I guess I, I worry that, they're not taking a firm enough stance, but I don't know. This is, I'm speculating about what their intentions are. Yeah. I mean, I think your parallels to the reducitarian thing are, are warranted in this case. I think it all really just depends on the messaging that the, the group is taking. I guess my next question that I was going to ask is kind of answered then, which is like, what, what was the purpose of this? And, and I, I think I would guess it's what I had kind of mentioned before, which is, they did want to branch apart and be like, this is the thing that we want to, re- to to represent who we are. We want the label vegan, which I think is good. But I guess, Andy, do you think that this is like a, a positive thing for the vegan movement? And in, in general, should this be a thing that vegans start to do, like break apart from their not completely vegan organizations that are still animal related to form their own vegan groups because i imagine you know it's like you're losing financially and you're losing numbers in terms of people so it, there are definitely risks involved and there are reasons why you would stay with the with the vegetarian groups or the non-vegan groups so 
do you think that this is a thing that more vegans and more vegan organizations should be doing? That's a good question. (laughs) That's a really good question, Paul. I don't, I honestly don't know in this, but I mean, I think that it's really important to get the word vegan out there. If I think that, you know, we've had all these discussions about whether it should be the word vegan should be on a menu or the restaurant name or something like that. But I feel like in terms of advocacy groups, if you're going to include the word vegan or vegetarian, I feel like it's important to use the word vegan because vegan and vegetarian have very specific meanings. They have very specific connotations. And, you know, maybe to a lot of the general public, they, they feel like they're kind of interchangeable or whatever. But to me, vegan is like we are taking a stance against the exploitation of animals and vegetarian means I don't eat meat, you know, for, for whatever reason. So I think that it's important for, for people to use those words appropriately. Just like, I don't know, you see a lot of veg fests and like you have something like the New York City one that's called the New York City Vegetarian Food Festival, but it is all vegan. And I, I get that they're maybe using vegetarian because it's a softer word and they think they might welcome in more people. But I don't know. I would rather just have events that are just like, hey, we're Chicago vegan mania. You know, like we're all about being vegan. So even though something like Chicago Vegan Mania or a vegan organization that has the word vegan in the name, even though those groups would welcome vegetarians and even non-vegans because, you know, it's like it's it's great to be able to expose people. I mean, that's almost the goal is to is to expose non-vegans to this kind of stuff. So it's like even though they these organizations for the most part, for mo- most of them, would welcome non-vegans and vegetarians. Do you think that we risk, for instance, with this specific example, do you think that they risk pushing people away by by using the word vegan instead of vegetarian? Uh, it's possible. I think that there are you know, certainly a lot of negative connotations with the word vegan. But I think if you're an advocacy group... Like maybe I shouldn't have even brought up the the example of like naming vegan events. But I think if you're an advocacy group, I think it is important to sort of have it like really out front, like what your end goal is. If if you're going to include, you know, one of those words in your name, I think that it should be vegan. You, you know, you could have a group that's like Better Eating International. They don't have, you know, they've t- chosen a route that is vague and you know, is not necessarily giving people an idea of what their end goal is with their name. You know, like I used to work for farm animal rights movement. It's like, okay, that's a very upfront thing. Mm-hmm. And if you're, you know, if someone on campus, when I'm doing outreach, asks like, what group are you with? And I, and I say that, then they're like, okay, I know what you're trying to convince me of. But I think that if it's vegetarian, then you're sort of muddying the waters. You're not making it clear. So I feel like you should go to, to, to one end of the extreme or other and do something like Bettering International where it's like really vague or even like Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, something, you know, where it's like, we don't know what they're about. They're just about responsible medicine. <laughs> and really what they're doing is promoting plant-based eating and things like that. I feel like you should, you should go to one end or the other, but not sit there in the middle with the word vegetarian. Okay. All right. I feel like you if, you're gonna be, if you're going to be secret and sly about it, you might as well go all the way. I feel you. The next question that I wanted to throw at you is, should we be supporting groups that are working towards animal welfare, but that aren't necessarily vegan? And before you answer this question, Andy, I wanted to throw a few (laughs) examples at you because this was the second article that kind of spurred 
this discussion for me, also from plant-based news. And the article is called Nearly 6,000 Hens Saved from Slaughter by Egg Industry Advocates. And I'm not going to read from the article, but essentially a non-vegan group called the British Hen Welfare Trust. Such a British name. (laughs) Basically rehomed 5,800 hens that were going to be sent to slaughter. And now I think we can say that that's probably a good thing. Although I, we can probably speculate on where these hens were sent to because it says they were sent in groups of four to six and either given to schools or to individuals. So I, I would hope that the, these places are taking good care of them. I mean, I'm sure they are taking better care of them than killing them, which is what was going to happen to them. Hopefully. The but, worst care. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the worst care. It happens to my plants all the time. But like... This this group, like that's what that's one of the big things that they do. And on their website, it says that, uh, each year we we save approximately fifty thousand hens from slaughter and find them caring pet homes through our network of thirty two regional pop up centers, so they can enjoy a free range retirement. So it's basically when when the hens are are exhausted from laying eggs, their egg laying abilities have been exhausted. And they are going to be sent to slaughter. Instead, this organization takes them and rehomes them somewhere else, which I think is a pretty good thing. <laughs> Let me ask you, do you know if they're purchasing these hens or if they actually, are they was, actually rescuing? I was looking for that and, and I could not I could not find if that was the case or not. I'm really wondering how they're able to get 50,000 hens. I know that like there are big situations like the Turlock rescue where like you get a lot of hens, but I'm just kind of like skeptical that they're getting 50,000 hens and not paying for them. No, I definitely feel your skepticism, which is why I was, I was trying to figure out, figure that exact thing out. But I also wonder if, if it's because they are such big supporters of the egg industry, if then the egg industry is like, yeah, you can you can have these these chickens there. You know, we were maybe not going to make that much money for them. And, and now we don't have to pay for maybe their transportation or something like that. And because we know that you're not this vegan organization, here you go. You can have this. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Who knows? If someone out there knows, let us know. <laughs> but from combing through their website, Andy, one of the other things I found that they're big advocates for is they are just big like hen advocate welfare advocates. So from their website, it also said Hellman's mayonnaise used to contain eggs from caged hens, but following our positive campaign, asking the company to produce a free range alternative Hellman's now use eggs from free range hens in their mayonnaise. And when I was reading this, Andy, I was like, huh, this like very much non-vegan organization like this victory sounds exactly like something from like a a welfare vegan organization yeah i mean it sounds like something that like say the humane league would promote as a victory and i was thinking to myself i was like is there then because obviously the humane league does other stuff too and they do certain promotions that that do promote veganism but which certainly this this group is not doing but in terms of just like that one specific thing is it really that is it different that this non-vegan organization is saving 50,000 hens from being killed versus 
like the Humane League doing this sort of thing or any other welfare vegan group doing this thing just because the group has the word vegan in their name? Does the outcome is the outcome? Should we look at it in a different light? Mm, That's a good question. I mean, I think either way, I would look at it as a positive as long as they're not paying for the animals regardless of whatever the group has done. But I guess perhaps a more apt question would be, should we support said group with either our you know, actual monetary donations or with our volunteer hours or something like that? In which case, I would rather go find an organization like you know United Poultry Concerns, UPC, in the United States that is advocates for hens but comes at it from a vegan angle. But 50,000 hens, Andy, that's like a... Like- a mere drop in the bucket to the, what, like six, seven, nine billion that are killed in the U.S. every year? It is a mere, no, uh, uh, certainly a mere drop in the bucket. But certainly but, I know it means a lot to those 50,000 hens. I don't well, mean to be callous. Gonna, what I was going to say was if if animal rights advocates are facing 60 years in jail for rescuing two piglets that were then recaptured, but this 50,000 hens being rescued from slaughter is being done legally. Like, why wouldn't we support this? Yeah. I mean, again, it could be one of those things that I'm quietly like, cool, I'm glad those hens were saved versus the thing that I'm going to post the article about on Facebook or send a donation their way. Like, I'm, of course, I'm happy if any animal is saved. But do I want to promote, like, with me, with my limited time and, and resource and, and Facebook wall space, do I, do I want to promote them or do I want to promote an all-vegan group that, that if someone's like, oh, this rescue is really cool, let me go to their website and see what they're all about. Do I want to promote the one where when they go to the website, they're not going to get a fully vegan message? No, I'd rather promote the one that has the fully vegan message. But I'm not going to go and talk crap about them for saving 50,000 hens. Again, I've... You know, I have to guess they're purchasing them, which I think just perpetuates the system. But hey, maybe that's totally wrong. Maybe that's totally wrong. Maybe they are somehow getting these hens for free. But I don't know. Let me let me say this, Paul. Mm-hmm. This has always kind of been my stance on welfare campaigns, and that those are the duty for those that actually exploit animals to engage in. I don't think that that's the job of vegans to engage in, you know. So if if you are someone that that thinks it's okay to exploit animals, it is your job to do so in the least harmful way possible, and you should be the one that's doing the campaign. It shouldn't be the ones that are out there trying to get people to treat animals just a little bit nicer. So so on some level, I'm like, okay, I'm glad that you're not vegan group that's doing this work because I think that's what you should be doing. I think that that's sort of like ethically what you should be doing, even though I disagree and think you should be fully vegan instead. But ultimately it's like, yeah, that's your job. But, but Andy are like our, our normal criticism, our critique of the welfare groups though, is that it's then solidifying people's opinions that this is the okay thing to do. So isn't that going to be the same for for these like not completely non-vegan groups? Is it not solidifying that this is the okay thing to do? I 100% agree with you. Uh, I'm not saying that I would champion those efforts in any way whatsoever. But my opinion is that vegans should be spending their time making new vegans. And if there is any form of welfare campaign... I think it's best for I, I think that if that's going to happen, it should be the people that exploit animals that are doing it. Yeah, it's consistent with their idea that it's OK to exploit animals. 
you know, so I, again, I'm not supporting, I'm not posting about it. I'm not giving donations to, I'm not volunteering for any of those campaigns. But my opinion is that if anyone's going to do it, it should be the people that actually believe it's okay to exploit animals, not the people that believe it's not okay to exploit animals. I feel you. I feel you, Andy. I, I, I do agree with you. You're feeling me a lot in this episode, Paul. <laughs> okay. So Andy, now that was, that was the one big example that kind of spurred a lot of the, this, this discussion for me. But while I was actually looking through the article about the Canadian banning cosmetic testing bill, I, I looked at who was responsible for kind of pushing that forward. And it seems like there was three main players. There was the green party. There was a group called animal justice. And then there was the humane society international, like the international branch of HSUS basically. And so I looked at the I looked on a, a little into the Green Party. I was like, I wonder how much animal issues pertain to them. And from a very surface level Wikipediaing of the Green Party in Canada, it does list federal animal welfare reform as one of their policies. So it's certainly something that is on their radar. And then I was looking at Animal Justice from AnimalJustice.ca. And their little about me says, Animal Justice leads the legal fight for animals in Canada. Our lawyers work to pass strong new animal protection legislation, push for the prosecution of animal abusers, and fight for animals in court. So that seems pretty cool. Uh, um, some of the issues that they've seemed to be tackling are like puppy mills, shark finning, SeaWorld type or aquariums. I don't know if SeaWorld is specifically a United States thing, but aquariums. And then the like transportation of animals and yes, yeah, so I don't know it, it, I could not really find anything about them being a vegan organization. The only thing that I could really find is that they had like a gala and it said like, taste the delicious vegan food. So that's something, I guess. Yeah. So I, I don't know, Do you, like these, these groups are certainly not vegan organizations but they are working towards like animal issues mm -hmm. and i guess is this something that we should be putting our like time and effort into especially now i know what you just said about like how this is the thing that that you know non-vegans should be doing but especially when we see what i would consider a a a big step victory. That's how, that's what I'll call it. A big step victory. Like the, these law, big laws being passed. Like if they're getting stuff done, that seems like it, it is leading towards the end goal that we want. Should we then be putting our, our money or our, our volunteering efforts into these sorts of organizations? I think a lot of it really is just a case by case basis. Like I would never be able to say blanketedly that that's okay, but but yeah, I don't know. I guess I, it's hard for me to like you're saying we have the same end goals, but I feel like you're you're doing that with a comparison to other animal rights groups might celebrate Hellman switching over to cage free eggs. That's not necessarily something that I celebrate. I'm not upset that that would happen. I'm not mad that that happens. I'm glad that animals are here better than worse, but it's not necessarily a thing that I would celebrate. So I, I guess I would disagree with the assumption that we have the same end goals. But I guess I'm I'm more thinking specifically in this case about all the like the law stuff, because 
like yes there is that there is the isn't there like a vegan political group is it called just the vegan party uh the humane party the humane party excuse me so it's like there is a group like that but i'm sure the green party has more has a bigger following already because it's less i i feel like you know as we talked about I think feel like we talked about this last week or all the time, but how environmentalism <laughs> is just kind of like the, the cool thing. It's like trendy to be environmental now. So should we support like the Green Party because they will touch upon these issues as well as other issues, but they have more of a following and then something like animal justice. It's like a group. I feel like that's a niche, but super important avenue for advocacy is like the the going through the law and passing these bills and amendments and stuff like that and it's niche so it's like not many people can do this thing so when we do have an organization like that that is going along those lines maybe not exactly how we want it want it to be but should we support those groups am i making sense andy uh, you are again, I think that that's really just sort of a case by case basis. And like, I think sometimes we may make concessions, you know, we, we might support people that we don't think are perfect because we think that they'll get something done versus supporting someone we think is perfect. And I, you know, I guess specifically I'm speaking to your idea about green party versus humane party versus, you know, uh, one of the major, you know, democratic party or whatever, that like yeah that that there is a lot of arguments to be made for being you know pragmatic about the whole thing and saying you know what this person is not in line with my views but they're way better than this person and i if this person wins i think everything will be horrible so i'm going to go vote for this person that's like in my mind the lesser or even way lesser of two evils like i get that and i think that that's sort of a personal thing and i think that that is a case by case basis you know th- this kind of leads me to a more general thought about vegan organizations or vegan versus non-vegan organizations just in general. Like I I feel like a lot of times when I have maybe disagreed with, with other vegans about specific organizations and the way that they do their things, one of the, the points of disagreement was like, Oh, well I, I don't really agree with, with uh, like I'll say like well I don't really agree with what this organization like how they're framing these things and and I'd rather support this other organization because they are you know like 99% in line with my way of thinking about these sorts of things and the the comeback will be like well this first organization is like they have look at all this stuff that they've done and they have all these these victories under their belt versus this small organization that you want to support which like can't do as much just simply by the fact that they don't have as much funding or they don't have as many people supporting them. And in Andy, I don't, I don't always really know how to respond to that because it's like, I want to, I want to support the organizations and promote the organizations that completely fall in line with my ways of thinking and my ethics and morals. But is there, is there weight in saying like I should support maybe these other organizations that like I agree with half of the stuff that they're doing because they're bigger and they will be able to get more stuff done? Yeah, well, I, I think that I definitely empathize with that struggle. 
I think that there's a difference between saying, like, I need to go vote for a specific political candidate because there's a limited number of them versus saying you need to go support the British Hen Welfare Trust because they're helping hens, as if there isn't a myriad of other ways that you could go out there and help animals. Like, it could mean that you you decide to not criticize them publicly. That's what it could mean. It could mean that you decide, I'm not devoting my time to talking crap on this organization that's not totally in line with my beliefs, but they do some good stuff. I feel like I do that all the time. You know, there's plenty of organizations, uh, many of which I have really good friends that are within those organizations where I'm like, I, I appreciate some of the things that you do. I recognize that they could very well help our end goal in the future, but I disagree with certain aspects. And so I'm not going to sit around posting why I disagree with every aspect or like certain aspects of your group. But what I'm going to do is instead pivot and say, I'm going to go support the groups that I do feel comfortable with. That's very helpful, Andy. I appreciate that. I genuinely, genuinely thank you. <laughs> You're welcome, Paul. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, mean, I know some people kind of frame the argument like, do you want to be personally pure or do you want to be effective? And sometimes I think it's a false argument. And sometimes I think, yeah, maybe there are some concessions to be made where something isn't ideal, but you can get something done by engaging in it. And, you know, maybe it's not. Again, it's like a, you'd have to really give me specifics for me to actually make a ruling, an official ruling, slam down the gavel there on the whole thing. <laughs> but I remain open to either one being a possibility. I don't think that, like, inherently we always have to stick with a group that we feel like is 100% perfect. You know, like, there's I, – I don't, I don't know of a single group that I am 100% in love with. You know, there's many groups that I, like, 98% in love with. And those are the ones that I, like, really – endorse and and support and like to promote and maybe even interview the people you know but <laughs> but there's a lot that are that are that are not you know up to that 98 percent or whatever it might be and then there's ones that are like 10 percent, and i'm like maybe it is worth my time to tell people why i don't support that group and you know again we have a podcast so we have a week <laughs> we have you know an hour and a half whatever every week where we're going to be talking about things. So maybe that comes up more often. So really like the most criticism I give to most groups or activists comes in the form of this podcast. We're having discussions, we're working through our feelings on things, but it's not like what I'm posting to my first personal Facebook is, is like talking crap on, on tons of people all the time or saying why I disagree with that. You know, when I share something, it's usually because I really want to give positive praise to a group or a person. And, you know, obviously this really calls back to our conversation about if it's okay to critique other activists or not. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I guess my, my final question to you, Andy, to kind of bring it full circle is going back to this Christchurch vegan society breaking apart from the vegetarian society. Should we as vegans, should there be a mass exodus of vegans from vegetarian groups i just don't know how many vegetarian groups there are at this point like i know there's the you know like vegetarian summer fest is put on by like the north american vegetarian society i believe is their name and uh, you know so there's like groups like that but honestly i don't know that many that are not specifically vegan but i bet you i have a hunch andy that there are probably a lot of vegetarian groups at college campuses yeah, that's true. 
Um, you know, I mean, honestly, again, I think it really depends on the situation. I think there could be a lot of value in the vegans that are in that group sticking around to try and just make that group vegan, even if it's just in policy before they get to changing the name. I think that there's probably a lot of value in that versus saying, you know what, we're going to splinter off into our own thing. And, you know, I know in this article, they're like, we hope that people like join the vegan group, but also stay in the vegetarian group. It's like, okay, but how much time do people have to go to these meetings? I think there's a lot of, you know, if you already in a group and you've established goodwill and you have those connections and those relationships and those bridges, you know, why not? take advantage of that and, and work to help influence those people to go vegan and to make the organization vegan and the club vegan. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good point because I feel like it would probably be pretty easy if your college vegetarian group, obviously it depends on the specific people in this group, but I feel like it might not be super difficult if you have a vegetarian group in the school and there are some vegans in it to be like, Hey, when we do an event, just be like, Hey, can the food be vegan? Like, I it seems to me that most people like the vegetarians in the group probably wouldn't be like no that's that's like absurd and ridiculous and we're never going to do that like it seems like something that they would probably be like yeah that's cool yeah I think it makes sense um you know I mean we see people we see groups butt heads over that kind of stuff but I think that there's a very clear case to be made so yeah why not stick around it and make sure that gets enforced rather than going doing your own thing all right, Andy, do you have any final things to say about this or should we wrap it up? I say we wrap it up. I'd love to hear what the Beardos think. So send us an email to thebeardedvegans at gmail.com and let us know your thoughts on this or literally any other topic. <laughs> literally anything. Don't forget we got that mailbag coming up. So, you know, send us in your questions. No question too big, too small, or too medium. so andy what do you got coming up uh this weekend i'll be at the vegandale food and drink festival in chicago illinois and then july 14th we're going to be at the atlantic city vegan food festival atlantic city new jersey that's where we're doing our live podcast july 21st i'll be at compassion fest in hamden connecticut july 28th and 29th i'll be at the veg fest colorado in broomfield colorado And also July 29th, Paul, you'll be at the Jimmy Jam at the Skylands Animal Sanctuary in New Jersey. Yay. So any of those events, come find me or sometimes Paul behind the Compassion Company table. Look for the vegan t-shirts. Come say, what's up, Beardo? And we'll hook you up with a button and sticker. Cool. Paul, so reading through all those Luxembourg laws... The, the one that potentially like actually mandates that you that you must rescue animals from like a farm from a place mm-hmm. of abuse my favorite provision is actually that once you snatch up that animal and you're running away with them in your arms you have to scream the following words <laughs> we are the beard of vegans signing off this is
recording? I am recording. All right. You, you gonna let that burp out? It's it's gone back inside my pocket. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ready? Yep. In today's episode, we're going to talk about what we've been eating, answer some listener emails, <laughs> Sorry. In, that's okay. In today's episode, we're going to talk about what we've been eating, answer some listener email. <laughs> Andy keeps t- typing over the... <laughs> Andy oh, it doesn't keeps- work here. <laughs> Keeps typing while I try, I'm trying to read this. All right, here we go. I have a question, Paul. Mm-hmm. Do you think that anyone that's this is their first episode, they think they've made it this far yet? Or are they like, these two incomprehensible fools are just laughing at everything and they're off the rails already? Um, I mean, it's only 10 minutes, so I think, <laughs> I think it's probably okay. Okay. That was meant to be for the podcast, but it seemed like you answered it as it was meant to not be oh. on the podcast. <laughs> oh, I thought <laughs> I thought you were giving me a like edit this out. No. <laughs> All right, whatever. <laughs> I'm editing it out. <coughs> edited it out. Bill that would ban cosmetic testing. Bill that would ban cosmetic animal testing clears Bill the Senate. Bill that would ban And I believe we were talking about this recently and it's related to some other story, but I don't even know. That's not even necessary to say. <clears throat> so maybe it's, that's why they. Uh, what am I saying? <laughs> what am I even saying? Yeah, whatever. Strike it from the record. <laughs> yeah. So if you want to get in on that action, you want to shout out on the podcast and get all the. Did I say podcast? Podcast. Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so if you want to get in on that sweet, sweet shout out on the podcast action <laughs> uh, and get some, uh, God, I can't talk. I can't talk. <laughs>